Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rapnolis. Like a lot of people who grew up in the 70s and 80s. I got my Atari 2600 for Christmas. It was one of those gifts that I had wanted for years. I had seen it in a catalog, had seen commercials on television, and I knew I wanted it. Even though the first year that I saw it, there were very few games, and I don't think I fully understood the value of what was going on. I just knew I loved playing Pong and other sorts of video tennis, and I really wanted a system that would allow me to have sort of the video game experience at home. And of course, this is something every person who has grown up since the 70s has wanted. When I got my Atari, time froze. I ripped the corner of the box and I knew exactly what it was. You know that moment? And there was nothing better than that moment. Because you knew at that point that the one thing, the top of your list thing, was in your hands. And nobody could take that away from you. Fortunately, this is not one of those stories where somebody does take it away from me, which, if you've listened to the show before, you're more familiar with those stories. Instead, this is a story of triumph, a triumph of the night, and I'll tell you why. I got my Atari, and I got the game that everybody wanted, Space Invaders. Now, I played Space Invaders in the arcade and was horrible at it, but of course, just like everybody else, I wanted to play it nonstop. So, you get it for Atari, and that is exactly what you do. Morning I get up, Space Invaders. Do, do, do shooting those things. Eat some breakfast, Space Invaders. My family forces me to go out. I stay out the minimum time that will satisfy them. I come back in, Space Invaders. Dinner time, I'm done, Space Invaders. Then it's bedtime. Problem with bedtime is, there's no Space Invaders. I'm dreaming of Space Invaders, but I'm not playing Space Invaders. The solution, of course, would be, don't sleep. I know what you're thinking. Well, that's not going to happen. You're a kid. Well... When there's a will, there's a way. I attempted a couple of simple pleading moves, like trying to just stay up later, trying to just stay on the TV and hopefully nobody would notice, but everybody did. Now the Atari, which the whole family could use, was not allowed to be up in my room at this point yet. I think my mother knew that I would not sleep if that was the case. So it was down on the living room television set. So what I did was I waited till everybody went to sleep, and that was rough, just laying there waiting for everybody to go to sleep and trying to stay awake. But I had visions of invading creatures from space. Then I went downstairs, very quietly, I unhooked the Atari, I brought it upstairs to my room, hooked it up, and then proceeded to play Atari for the entire night with the sound off. I must have been hunched over, maybe five or six inches away from the black and white television screen playing this game. Still never got any better, but the night just flew by, and I couldn't believe it. This was the first time anything like this had ever happened. I had not gone to sleep, and everything was normal. I would repeat this process a couple of other times until, one, I got sick of Space Invaders, and two, I was just too exhausted to do it again. It wasn't really much of a problem during the winter vacation, because... I could collapse at one point and sleep, but once school started, it could be a problem. Later on in life, I would pull all-nighters at work, I would pull all-nighters for other games. Now, I remember one time I went over to a friend's house to have a sleepover, and they had this great idea. What we were going to do is stay up all night and watch movies. 
And what I found out is that without the proper motivation, I lack the skill to stay up all night in any way and was probably the first one to sleep. I actually would wake up a couple of hours later in a panic, not knowing where I was, and demand that I be taken home. That's another story. The Atari was one of my favorite childhood gifts. I still have my original Atari and I have three other Atari units working and I cherish each one of them. On today's show, we are going to talk about the Atari VCS, otherwise known as the Atari 2600, and I will use those terms interchangeably depending on whatever comes out of my silly mouth. We're going to talk about the development of the system, the company that made it. We'll talk about some of the people behind it. We'll talk about its competition, the games that were developed for it, the issues of dependability, the different types of Atari VCSs. We'll talk a little bit about the technology. We'll talk about the various input devices for the Atari, the clones. We'll talk about the decline and where and how you can play games for the Atari 2600 nowadays. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us. So without further ado, let's start the show. Atari VCS, or 2600, is a video game console that was released in October of 1977 by a company called Atari. It was not the first system to come out, but it is credited with popularizing the use of a hardware-based system that has cartridges containing game code. And we'll talk a little bit about the first game console to do that a little bit later. But first, let's talk a little bit about Atari. In 1966, Nolan Bushnell saw the game Space War at the University of Utah and realized that there would be commercial potential in making coin-op versions of video games. So, several years later, he and Ted Dabney built a hand-wired custom computer game that could play on a black-and-white television. And in the game, a single player would shoot at two orbiting UFOs. That game was called Computer Space, and it was released as a coin-op game by a company called Nutting Associates. Unfortunately, Nutting's market was bars, and the game didn't play well there. It was perhaps a little too complicated for people just getting into video games. Remember, none of these existed, so Computer Space didn't do very well. So Bushnell and Dabney left Nutting to form their own engineering firm and hired Al Alcorn as their first engineer. And the game that they would work on was a game that's very famous called Pong. That is riveting gameplay. So the game is getting close to completion, and they have to incorporate their company. Now, they can't use the name they wanted. It turned out that another company already had it. So they start writing down terms from the game Go, and one of those terms is Atari. And obviously that will be the name that they will take. In 
the game Go, Atari means a state where a stone or group of stones is imminently in danger of being taken by one's opponent. So you could read into what that means. Perhaps the precarious position Atari is in at that point. So they got their name, and by November of 72, the first Pong was completed. They get the game placed in a tavern called Andy Caps in Sunnyvale to test to see how well it will go. When they arrived the next morning, there was a line of people waiting to play the game. But they couldn't because the game was broken. When they opened it up, they found out that so many people had played the game that the coin collector, which was basically just a milk carton, had overflowed and shorted out the mechanism for taking quarters. They knew they had a hit, so they went into talks with people to try to get it distributed. All those talks broke down, which led them to start distributing the game themselves. Thus, Atari becomes a coin-op design and production company. Atari does not sit on their laurels. In 75, Bushnell gets an effort going to create a video game console that would be capable of playing all four of Atari's games at the time. 75 would pass, but in early 76, there would be a technology breakthrough for the team, and they would create a CPU that was capable of high performance and low cost and thus the Atari VCS was born. This is great for Atari. They have this low-cost system, which at this point, by the way, was being nicknamed Stella, which is a term that if you investigate Atari, you'll see it's an emulator now, and it gets used a lot. I believed it was named for one of the engineer's bicycles. So they've got this system, and they're ready to take it to the next level, but in August of 76, Fairchild Semiconductor released their own CPU-based video game system, the Video Entertainment System, or VES. Stella, at that point, was not ready for production. At this point, Atari is in a quandary. It didn't have the cash flow to catch up and compete with the Fairchild system. So they went around and shopped the Atari to a bunch of people, most of whom said no. I think they went to Disney, some other people. Eventually, they went to Warner Communication and sold the company to them in 1976 for $28 million and the promise that Stella would be produced ASAP. But would it be too late? The Fairchild Video Entertainment System at your larger JCPenney. The home entertainment system that never gets old. Plug in a new video card and change the fun. Play tic-tac-toe, shooting gallery, or just doodle. Switch video cards and play Desert Fox. Switch again, it's Blackjack. Or play the two built-in games, Pro Hockey or Tennis Champ. Channel F for fun, the Fairchild Video Entertainment System. The Fairchild VES, or the Channel F, was a pretty decent system for its time. And while its games weren't stellar, it had some really interesting educational titles and decent graphics. And the F8 processor, which was at the heart of the console, was strong enough that you could have the system actually do rudimentary artificial intelligence and actually play against the computer. And this was the first time that that would ever happen in console history. Up till that point, you had to have a human opponent if you had a home system, which if you had a Pong system and you had the two sliders at home, like I did, and you were playing against yourself, you could get bored after a while. It would be nice if the computer could step up. The system also had a hold button, something the Atari was lacking and something that would appear on future consoles. A lot of people like to modify their Atari 2600s now to add a hold system to it. Really makes for getting up to go get something to drink or answer the door much easier. 
if you see the channel off, it's got a weird joystick. It's sort of boxy and has a place to put your games. It also had speakers built into the original system. The legacy of the VES, which would become the Channel F, is that it spurred Atari to action and forced them into pushing their console and their games forward as fast as possible. Atari saw the Channel F and realized they needed to release the Stella to market before other cartridge-based machines were everywhere. Luckily for Atari, when the VCS came out, it actually was superior graphically and sound-wise to the original VES. And sort of in a kick to the chops, they named the system the Atari VCS, which would confuse people who are going to get the VES. Here's this thing called the VCS that actually has more games, it looks cooler, it has better graphics on the box. Which are you going to buy? Atari's clever marketing would cause Fairchild to change the name of the VES to the Channel F, which is probably how most people, if they do remember the system, know it today. Today's episode is brought to you by Pizza. What goes better with video games than pizza? We're having a pizza party with lots of pizza hot and hearty. Won't you join the party too? You'll find your favorite beverage there. Now let's see. Well, I declare. The only party missing is you. that pizza. So the first year of production of the VCS, the system was manufactured in Sunnyvale, and we'll talk a little bit about the different body types of the Atari later, but those systems that were made at that time had heavy shielding and are actually pretty well sought after by collectors. Now even though they were competing with another company that didn't have full market share, the home audience really wasn't ready for the system yet, and in 78, only 550,000 out of 800,000 units were sold, which meant that Warner had to pony up more money. This caused a whole bunch of disagreements and also caused Bushnell to leave the company in 78. People started to come around, though, at this point, and in 1979, the VCS was the best-selling Christmas gift and, of course, best-selling video game console of the year. And according to some sources, one million units were sold that year alone. Now, why did Atari succeed? There's probably a lot of good reasons. The games were good. The market wasn't saturated yet. But their continued success would be because they were really smart about licensing games. 79, they could have peaked, but instead, in 1980, they licensed the arcade hit Space Invaders by Taito. It was released in January of 1980, and sales of the system doubled that year to 2 million units, and Atari that year grossed $2 billion. No other company offers you as many different video game cartridges as Atari. When the Atari came out, the system was priced at $199 and would ship with two joysticks and the game Combat, 
There were eight other titles available for the system. How many of them can you name? Okay, time's up. Here are the original games. Air Sea Battle, Basic Math, that's a real winner, Blackjack, Combat, Indy 500, Starship, Street Racer, great game, Surround, and Video Olympics. Now, I have the exact same Atari units that I've had my entire life, but I've read online that Jeff Rovin, who's an author who is known for his How to Play Video Games series, said that more stores reported breakdowns of the Atari 2600 system than any other, and that the 1980 systems were particularly bad. I've never had a problem with any of my Ataris, and none of my friends seem to have any problems with their Atari. So I find that statistic personally confusing, but the man is a video game expert. So we'll talk a little bit about the different body types for the Atari. In 1977, the original Atari was made, and in Atari fan circles, it's referred to as the Heavy Sixer. It has heavy radio frequency shielding and thick plastic on it. It has that lovely wood grain. These systems are renowned for their high quality and are valued because of their limited production run. They would have a deal with Sears to release a Sears-branded Atari console, and a lot of people had that. It is very similar to the Heavy Sixer and was known as the Video Arcade. The big difference is it sported aluminum trim, which had the telegames printed in green capital letters above the cartridge slot, and it had the Video Arcade printed in chrome letters on the front. Otherwise, it was identical to the Heavy Sixer internally. In addition to the system, they would also sell Sears-branded controllers and joysticks for the Heavy Sixer. So when Atari needs to make more units, they decide to get rid of the heavier plastic and some of the shielding, and then you have something that's known as the Light Sixer. Started in 1978, it still has all the switches on the front, but it is a lighter quality, easier to pick up, easier to throw. In 1980, they would move the difficulty switches to the back, and you would get the four switch models, and then in 1982, they dropped the wood grain system and went with all black, which was sort of hipper, I guess, at the time. Maybe because the 70s were ending, wood grain just wasn't in for electronics. This system is nicknamed the Darth Vader, or Vader system, and it is pretty cool looking. It's just a kind of all-black 2600. It was also the first system that dropped the VCS and started using 2600 in its name. This is because the Atari 5200 was going to be coming out soon, so stick with the numbering system as we would go forward. After 1980 and the success of Space Invaders, sales would double again for the next two years. By 1982, the console had sold 10 million units. At this point, it was invincible. Nothing could stop the Atari 2600. Well, almost nothing. It's the video game that lets you pretend you're E.T., running away from secret agents, falling into danger, finding a phone to call home, and discovering the best thing on Earth, a friend. E.T., only from Atari. 
before we start talking about the decline of the Atari, we'll talk a little bit about some of the amazing games that were put out for the system. To start with, let's talk to Metagirl with the top five games for the Atari VCS. Five, four, three, two, one. Over 900 titles were released for the Atari 2600. Owning them all is a challenge. But why bother when you can just pick up the best five? So, retro fans, here are the Retroist's top five greatest games for the Atari 2600. At number five is Ms. Pac-Man. Yes, people had problems with good old Mr. Pac-Man for the Atari 2600, but the developers got it right when they released Ms. Pac-Man, making it both a fun and faithful port of the original game. Number four is another arcade classic that they got right, the time-honored Jungle Hunt. This game might only have four levels, but boy are they addictive. Who would have thought that shooting rocks could be so much fun? Well, just about everyone in the 1980s, because at number three is the colorful home port of Atari's Asteroids. At number two, we have a tie between the spacefaring, cotile-blasting Yars Revenge and the dragon-slaying, key-finding Adventure. Both are so wonderful, why choose just one? And the number one game for the Atari 2600 is the timeless, vine-swinging, treasure-finding jungle adventure romp, Pitfall. While the sequel is a deeper experience, it doesn't capture the simple and constantly challenging perfection of the original. And there you have it, the Retroist's top five games for the Atari 2600. Until next time, list fans, this has been Metagirl. Thanks, Metagirl. Now, sometimes the best games are not the best-selling games. So here are the top ten best-selling Atari games. The following games sold over a million units. Adventure, Atlantis, Cosmic Arc, Kaboom, Mega Mania, River Raid, and Space Invaders. E.T. the Extraterrestrial sold over 1.5 million units. Demon Attack, great game, sold 2 million units. Missile Command, 2.5 million units. Pitfall, one of the best games ever made, 4 million units. And the top-selling game, was Atari's port of Pac-Man for the Atari 2600, which sold a whopping 7 million units. The CPU on the Atari 2600 was a 1.19 MHz MOS technology 6507. The audio and video processor was a TIA, capable of 160 to about 192 pixels of 128 colors, 128 on screen, max of 4 colors per line, that's without programming tricks. Sound was 2 channels of 1-bit mono sound with 4-bit volume control. RAM, which was in a MOS technology Riot chip, was 128 bytes. You could also have RAM in the cartridges, and ROM, which was included in the cartridges, could be a maximum of 4 kilobytes. You could achieve 32 kilobytes with something called bank switching. And technical overview. For a simple system, Atari had a bunch of great input devices. You had the now-famous Atari joystick, a keypad, paddles, the Atari space joystick. There was the driver controller, the kids controller. Eventually, Atari would make a remote control joystick that had antennas jutting out. You had the track and field controller, the trackball, the video touchpad, and even a light gun, the XE light gun. There was also some input devices made by third parties, like the foot craze, which was sort of a early Nintendo power pad. 
the Flight Commander, which came with Spitfire Attack, pretty cool-looking gun sort of thing, Cosmic Command, which was this elaborate joystick that was sold by Milton Bradley with Survival Run, and Amiga put out the Joyboard, which I've actually never used, but it was used in the skiing game Mogul Maniac, and it was a sort of balance board that I heard wasn't very good, but way ahead of its time. You also had the Starpath Supercharger, which was a cartridge with a cassette player connector that allowed you to have extra RAM capacity. And then finally the GameLine Master Module, which was a modem that allowed you to download games and play them for a limited amount of time. That's right, downloadable games on the Atari 2600. While Atari's putting out all this great stuff and doubling sales, they were also growing. But things started going wrong. Atari wasn't giving credit to its programmers who were building this wonderful technology. And a bunch of some of the more talented people left to found a third-party developer, Activision, in 1980. A company that still exists to this day. Atari would try to block third-party development for the 2600 court. But that didn't work out, and this allowed other people like iMagic and Caligo to come into the market and bite into their profits. But maybe Atari's biggest problem with the 2600 is the thing that made them succeed at first, picking up these licensing deals. And they would pick them up for Pac-Man and E.T., and while Pac-Man sold real well, there was a lot of backlash against it. There was immense backlash against E.T., which resulted in the desert burial of lots of extra titles. And because of this constant growth, there was tons of these poor quality games on the market, and people were just getting tired of spending money on poor systems and too many to choose from, and everybody was overextended, and the gaming market crashed. Atari was hemorrhaging money, and Warner decided to find someone to buy it. In 1984, they would sell the Atari Consumer Division to Commodore Business Machines founder Jack Tramiel, who wanted to use it to concentrate on home computers, and he froze all development of console games. And that was the beginning of the end for the Atari 2600, although it would continue to hold on throughout the 80s. In 1985, the Atari Junior, which was a sort of revamped Atari that looked more like the Atari 7800, sort of a sleek wedge shape, came out. And it was this system that would continue to be sold until 1991. The final game that was licensed by Atari was Clax, which was in 1990. Although there's another game called Acid Drop, which was released in 1992, which was the last game to be released while Atari were still being manufactured. On January 1st of 1992, the Atari was officially retired, but had quite a run of 14 years and 2 months, probably the longest in video game history. In its lifetime, 40 million units were shipped, and over 900 titles would be released for the system. The Atari refuses to die, because if you go into stores just about at any time of the year, especially during the holiday season, you will see 10-in-1 consoles, things that allow you to play Atari systems, basically emulating them, and things like the Atari Flashback console, which has 40 games on it and plays a lot like the original Atari. It's so similar to the Atari that you actually can modify the system to play original Atari 2600 cartridges by adding a cartridge port. If you're a really hardcore Atari fan, you should check out Benjamin Heckendorn's 
creations, he has actually developed portable Atari 2600 systems by cutting apart full-size systems and adding screens into the enclosures and sealing them up. Wonderful stuff to look at and would be amazing stuff to own. If you do not have the hardware, you do have a computer probably. And the great news is that there are a lot of emulators and there's tons of websites that you can actually play a lot of these original games on for free. If you have access to an emulator and a couple of ones like the Z26 or the Stella are easy to find. You just do a search. Stella is a very well-known one. Open source, multi-platform, works on Windows, Mac, Linux, Dreamcast, Nintendo DS, Wii. Great, easy to use. Finding the games, and they're called ROMs, is another thing. You have to do a search on that to find it. You can actually find USB joysticks online to really capture that original feeling. Or just get online and find an original console or check a local garage sale. People are selling them constantly. There's a huge turnover rate. You can usually find one in really good working condition very affordably. If you have friends over, people who grew up during that time, they will be drawn to the Atari like moths to a flame. The Atari 2600 was a game changer in home entertainment, and it opened up so many people's minds to the possibilities of games, and it's probably the main reason we have all these wonderful home gaming systems in our houses today. Yes, to a modern audience, the graphics can be laughable. You'll see a lot of young people scratch their head and try to figure out what we thought was so much fun, but you let them sit down and play a good game, not just any game that they'll choose. Let them play Pitfall. Let them play any of the better games and you will see that they will get drawn in and they will see that these are solid games that work across generations. The Atari 2600 hardware will one day fade from existence, be in museums, be a distant memory. But a lot of the games that were developed for this system are timeless now. And they're showing up on our browsers, our phones, and our tablets. They won't go away. So there will be a constant reminder of this wonderful system that for 14 years gave a lot of us a tremendous amount of pleasure. And for that reason, it will never be forgotten. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist and twitter.com slash retroist. The music you hear on the show is provided by Peachy. If you have any musical needs, you can email Peachy at peachy at retroist.com. Thanks to Metagirl for a great top five list. If you have some feedback for the top five list, you can email Metagirl at metagirl at retroist.com. This is the 100th episode of the Retroist Podcast. I am surprised that it is episode 100. I don't even remember doing 99 other episodes. So I thought I would do a episode about something that I feel real strongly about. I'm a very big fan of the Atari. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed putting it together. And as we stand on the precipice of episode 101 and are on our way to episode 200, I'd like to thank everyone who has continued to listen to the show, who sent their emails, who's come to the site, left comments on iTunes. I appreciate it. It helps to make doing this a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend.
Atari 2600. Take one. Fight! This has been a Retro production. Goodbye.